Northern Seminary and the Center for Theological Integrity. This is the pastor's table. Today's church leaders are weary and burnt out from trying to lead in the machine of corporate leadership systems. The pastor's table brings you conversations with local pastors working out deep theological convictions in their churches. Here are your hosts, Reverend Tara Beth Leach and Dr. Mark Quanstrom. Welcome to the pastor's table. Uh, I'm Mark Quanstrom. And as we mentioned four weeks ago, the next three podcasts will be the introduction to uh, my course on seminary now titled Pastoral Ministry Calling and Resilience. And if you're interested in any one of these courses of many, go to seminarynow.com. But for the next three podcasts, we'll be talking about what it means to be a pastor, the call, and how to stay. So one of my tasks as dean, professor, pastor, mentor was to, and I'm overstating it just a bit, of course, but was to talk young people out of going into the ministry and to say out loud what many pastors would be reluctant to say, but in their heart of hearts, they believe to be true. Pastoring is one of the more difficult vocations we could ever attempt. It calls from us every talent, every gift, every ability. It calls from us all that we have to give. So there are many reasons why we should not go into the ministry, and there are probably more than I listed that you thought of as I was talking. And some of you are so living the reality of what I described, you're kind of wishing someone had been able to talk you out of it. Which means that being overwhelmed by the vocation, aware of our inadequacy and even wanting to quit might just be the evidence that we're doing it right which leads to the question, who would willingly embrace such a vocation? And most of us know the answer. We're not pastors because we want to be. We're pastors because we have to be. We're pastors because we're called to be. Now you may have noticed that I am referring to pastoral ministry as a vocation. In some circles, vocation is just another word for job, but it really has a much richer meaning than that. Vocation differs from job because it connotes calling. Indeed, the word vocation comes from the Latin word, which means calling. So our vocation is our calling. Our job is a calling. We are pastors because we are called to it, which means it would be truer to say that the ministry chose us instead of us choosing it, or more correctly, God chose us. Now, my calling came when I was a sophomore in college. It came after I confessed Jesus as the Christ. And in that confession, I realized that if that confession was true, I was gonna have to be a pastor. Frankly, I didn't wanna be, but the Lord wouldn't let me go. And almost without exception, every student I was unable to talk out of going into the ministry continued to prepare for ministry because they believed that they had no other choice. God had called them to it. Of course, there's biblical precedent here. Moses was called. I mean, we know the story. Moses was minding his own business as a shepherd after having botched a meager attempt at liberating his people by killing an Egyptian who was mistreating a Hebrew, and then by attempting to stop a fight between two Hebrews. So he had to flee, abandon his pitiful attempt at rectifying the injustices, 
Moses was in the wilderness when he saw a perpetually inflamed bush. So he went over to check it out after being told to take off his sandals because of the holiness of that place. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites out of Egypt. So Moses was called and Gideon was called. I mean, we may not be as familiar with that story, but it is almost as compelling. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? So Moses and Gideon were called as was Jeremiah. Jeremiah was called even before he was conceived. The word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. And Jonah was called. We know the story of Jonah. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. Ezekiel had what we might consider to be a pretty intimidating call. Listen to what the Lord called Ezekiel to. He said, son of man, I am sending you to the Israelites to a rebellious nation that has rebelled against me. They and their ancestors have been in revolt against me to this very day. The people to whom I am sending you are obstinate and stubborn. Say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. And whether they listen or fail to listen, for they are a rebellious people, they will know that a prophet has been among them. And you, son of man, do not be afraid of them, of what they say, or be terrified by them, though they are a rebellious people. You must speak my words to them, whether they listen or fail to listen, for they are rebellious. But you, son of man, listen to what I say to you. Of course, these are all Old Testament examples, but there are New Testament examples as well. Peter and Andrew and James and John were called by the Lord himself. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left their boat. Immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. Apostle Paul was called rather dramatically. When the Lord told Ananias to go to the Apostle Paul, this is what the Lord said to Ananias about the Apostle Paul. 
Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. Well, we should know that it wasn't only men who were called. God called women as well. Esther was called to save the Hebrew people in a way that she couldn't refuse. Telling this story from the middle of the story, Mordecai sent back this answer. Do not think that because you were in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Mary Magdalene was called to be the first witness to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus said to her, Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And of course, Mary, the mother of Jesus, chosen out of all women to be the mother of the Savior. We know the story. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. So the Bible is filled with stories of those whom God called. However, the reason I mentioned the first four apparently random examples, Moses, Gideon, Jeremiah, and Jonah, was because of something that we don't talk about enough. The reason I mentioned those four first was because of their response to the call. I mean, you may have even noticed as I was listing Moses, Gideon, Jeremiah, and Jonah, that these four all had something very much in common. They were all reluctant followers. They all argued. They all tried to talk God out of calling them. They knew, I think, what we've been talking about, that the call to serve God is a costly one. Now, of course, this was not everyone's response to the call of God on their life that comes from our authoritative texts. And the Apostle Mark makes a point of noting that Simon and Andrew and James and John followed Jesus immediately without any explanation as to why they would do so, just that they did. And of course, arguably the most important call of all, the call to Mary, the mother of Jesus. Mary didn't argue, but her response is notable, probably be precisely because it is so remarkable. I mean, how did Mary respond? I am the Lord's servant. Let it be with me just as you have said. But I think we might want to acknowledge that Mary's response is not all that usual. We're a bit confused about the immediacy of the disciples' response. So the first four I cited, Moses, Gideon, Jeremiah, and Jonah, none of them were happy about hearing the call of God on their lives, and they were bold enough to argue. I'm thinking that's more the usual. The only reason they did what they did was because they were called. Now, I will admit 
that my mention of these who were reluctant to follow is a little self-serving. For I have been a reluctant disciple almost all of my life. Now that may not be everyone's story, but it's many people's story who are called. We're just not sure we can admit it. So as I said, I was a sophomore in college when I was called and I didn't like the idea, didn't mention it to anybody. And I fought it as Christianly as I could. I went to seminary after college, but the reason I went to seminary was to put off having to be a pastor. I didn't go to seminary to prepare as much as I went to avoid. It was me and Jonah. I just didn't have to take a boat. I was thinking that maybe God would change God's mind while I was there. God didn't, but I thought God might. And then when Deb and I understood that we were to go to the only church that interviewed us in Southern Illinois, I fought that. I didn't want to live in Southern Illinois in a little town I had never heard of. And then 23 years later, when invited to teach at my denominational university, I argued with God about that. I didn't want to leave the place I didn't want to go to in the first place. And then four years after that, when asked to pastor the church I'm pastoring now, well, I knew I had to, I still wished I hadn't been asked. I mean, the only reason I'm a pastor is because the Lord won't let me go. I'm called. But it's not only my story, which is the reason I cited the four that I did. And I want to say something more. I want to say that there is a certain wisdom to being reluctant to obey the call. I want to say that there are good reasons for not wanting to be called, at least as far as Moses, Gideon, Jeremiah, and Jonah are concerned. I mean, they should have been reluctant. They were smart to be reluctant. Maybe even Mary would have been reluctant too had she known on that day that she was called how sharp a sword it was going to be that would pierce her soul. I'm convinced the reason they were reluctant to follow, the reason they argued has to do with what they were called to. I mean, what did the Lord promise? Poor Moses, he should have argued. I'm pretty sure none of us would have wanted to have been Moses. I mean, here's what Moses thought about what the Lord had called him to, recorded in Numbers 11. Moses heard the people of every family wailing at the entrance to their tents. The Lord became exceedingly angry and Moses was troubled. He asked the Lord, why have you brought this trouble on your servant? What have I done to displease you that you put the burden of all these people on me? Did I conceive all these people? Did I give them birth? Why do you tell me to carry them in my arms as a nurse carries an infant to the land you promised on oath to their ancestors? I mean, where can I get meat for all these people? They keep wailing to me, give us meat to eat. I cannot carry all these people by myself. The burden is too heavy for me. If this is how you're going to treat me, please go ahead and kill me. If I have found favor in your eyes and do not let me face my own ruin. I mean, Moses thought the Lord should just go ahead and kill him since that was what God was doing anyway. So there was a certain wisdom in Moses being reluctant and Gideon as well. I mean, what was Gideon's return for being a faithful judge in Israel, surrounded by peoples who worshiped Baal? I mean, that was not an easy assignment. 
And when he was told to destroy his father's Baal idol, this is how he did it. So Gideon took 10 of his servants and did as the Lord told him. But because he was afraid of his family and the townspeople, he did it at night rather than in the daytime. Well, there you go, warrior Gideon. And as a consequence, the people of the town demanded of, of Joash, bring out your son, he must die because he has broken down Baal's altar and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. And then because Gideon didn't allow all the Ephraimites to participate in the battle as they thought they should, this was their response. Now the Ephraimites asked Gideon, why have you treated us like this? Why didn't you call us when you went to fight Midian? And they argued with him violently. So not all wine and roses for Gideon. And Gideon's story did not have a happy ending. While Gideon died an old man in the land of his fathers, here's the historian's assessment of Gideon's work. Gideon, son of Joash, died at a good old age and was buried in the tomb of his father, Joash, in Ophrah. No sooner had Gideon died than the Israelites again prostituted themselves to the Baals. Well, so there was a certain wisdom in Gideon being reluctant. And of course, Jeremiah, there's a reason he's known as a weeping prophet. From Jeremiah 20, when the priest Pasher, son of Immer, the official in charge of the temple of the Lord, heard Jeremiah prophesying these things, he had Jeremiah the prophet beaten and put in the stocks at the upper gate of the Benjamin at the Lord's temple. This was Jeremiah's prayer to God regarding his call. You deceived me, Lord, and I was deceived. You overpowered me and prevailed. I am ridiculed all day long. Everyone mocks me. Whenever I speak, I cry out proclaiming violence and destruction. So the word of the Lord has brought me insult and reproach all day long. But if I say I will not mention his word or speak any more in his name, his word is in my heart like a fire, a fire shut up in my bones. I am weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. That was Jeremiah's assessment of the call of God in his life. So it turns out there was a certain wisdom in Jeremiah being reluctant. And then we have Jonah. Jonah's response to the success of his evangelistic tour is classic. He prayed to the Lord, come on, Lord, wasn't this precisely my point when I was back in my own land? This is why I fled to Tarshish earlier. I know that you are a merciful and compassionate God, very patient, full of faithful love and willing not to destroy. At this point, Lord, you may as well take my life from me because it would be better for me to die than to live. Now I know that Jonah is no model of faithful servant of God. I mean, we would not want to emulate Jonah and would never admit to resentment for people coming to the Lord. At least we wouldn't say so out loud. But it does illustrate, conversely, the cost of obedience to the Lord. And I have not even mentioned the one other person who at a most crucial moment was most reluctant to follow. Jesus fell with his face to the ground and prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? 
He asked Peter, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And Jesus went away a second time and prayed, my father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away, unless I drink it, may your will be done. Jesus wasn't posing here. This isn't acting. This is existential agony. This is the son of God balking at doing the very thing he had come to do. Jesus knew what it was going to cost to follow. All of that to say, there's a certain wisdom in not being too eager to embrace the call God visits on us. If Moses, Gideon, Jeremiah, Jonah, and Jesus are any example, there's a reason to be reluctant disciples. It's costly to follow. And this points to the first reason most of us are pastors. Why do we do what we do? The same reason all of these others did. Because God won't let us go. We're pastors because we're called. <laughs>